from the staggering studios of Univest at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It is time for another Beatlemania episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. Stag beetles are cool, but seldom seen as their status has become endangered. I'm Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll explain the life cycle of these beneficial insects, discuss what they might be doing in your landscape, and reveal their connection to wood mulch. Plus, your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and cozily concise castigations. So stay right where you are, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than a springtime stag party right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, have you ever encountered one of those fearsome-looking stag beetles in the wild? They look like something out of Double Chiller Theater with their giant mandibles. Um, But they're actually beneficial. However, why would they show up on the side of a house? We're going to investigate this extreme mystery after your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Julie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Julie. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And where is Julie doing great? I am in Norman, Oklahoma, in the central part of Oklahoma. Oh, believe me, I know Norman very well. Uh, You know, I have said it many times. The last time I visited the area, I barely got out alive. (laughs) (laughs) Your people there were almost too nice. Uh, They are very nice. We love it here. Yeah, I couldn't imagine having a, a better reception. All right, what can we do for you? Well, Mike, I had a question. Um, I am a a fairly new gardener. This year, this past spring, was just my second year gardening ever in my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've had very, very good success with almost everything. It surprises me more than it surprises anybody else. Um, But I planted beans. And the way I did it was I wanted something beautiful. So my husband built me a big archway and I envisioned that the beans would grow up over the archway on both sides and create a tunnel, and it would be nice and shady in there, and I would walk through my archway and pick my beans. Okay. Well, everything went just like we expected. The vines grew up over from from both sides, and the vines were healthy and green, and then they flowered, and then nothing happened. Week after week after week, there were no beans. Okay. Uh, until eventually, finally, at the end of the season, the vines died. Okay. But I got no beans at all. And I can't imagine what, what since they did flower, I can't imagine why I didn't get any produce. Uh, because they didn't get pollinated. Um, 
Now, what kind of beans? There are hundreds of different types. Oh, okay. They were generic pole beans. I think they were probably burpee. And I, I wondered about the pollination, except that I had cucumbers at the very end of this archway that produced, you know, probably a hundred pounds of cucumbers. I mean, I started throwing them away. Mm-hmm. And um, so the cucumbers would have had to have been pollinated, correct? Well, it's, you know, my poor brain, you know, loses as much as it absorbs Uh, A lot of plants are either self-pollinating, pollinated by the wind. Um, It could depend on the type of bees you have. Now, I have to ask you a question. Uh, Do you use any kind of pesticides in your garden? Um, Not typically. Sometimes on the peppers, I have used neem oil. Okay. Well, that's Um, safe. Uh, yeah, I and I think I've used, I probably used on the tomatoes a little bit of seven early on. That's not safe. Around the base. That's not safe. Okay. That is one of the most dangerous. Around the base? Why would you spread to an insecticide around the base of tomatoes? Well, I'm, like I'm actually trying to remove. To keep werewolves away, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think I... I was thinking about the tomato worms, I think, but I, I am not 100% sure I did do that, but I do have seven, and I, I might have used it. I am not sure. Okay. All right. Um, never use a pesticide of any kind if you don't see pests, okay? Okay. Seven should be returned to where you bought it um, or to a hazardous waste disposal facility. It is one of the most toxic insecticides out there and a lot of people think it's a natural product uh, because of the name they think it's spelled s-e-v-e-n and it is a combination of seven natural products when nothing could be further from the truth and a lot of old-time farmers um you know think of it like bread oh you got a problem throw seven on it you know And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very dangerous for you as well. And there is no insecticide that you would put at the base of a tomato plant. Uh, The tomato hornworm uh, generally appears at the top of the plant. Um, A night-flying moth comes in, lays her eggs on the plant. The eggs hatch, the larvae. develop the exact same color as the tomato vine. Um, The caterpillars grow very large, and they can do a lot of damage. But none of it happens at ground level. So, Okay. um, Now, uh, were you growing string beans? Were you growing drying beans? Um, No, they were just called pole beans. Um, And they were, yeah, they looked more like string beans. Hmm. Well, uh, uh, pole beans will start out looking like string beans. Then they'll progress to looking like lima beans. And then they'll progress um, to the fat pods that you let dry on the vine and collect the storage beans for winter. I'm okay. shocked that you were able to buy something simply called pole beans. Um What I would suggest you do, if you 
if you want a good show, now you're in Oklahoma, um, mm-hmm. so and and you're growing these for looks as well as eating, right? Well, yeah, I wanted something beautiful, but I wanted to harvest plenty for canning or freezing or just eating every day. Yeah, eating every day is what I do with my string beans. Okay. So there is a variety of pole bean called Scarlet Runner. Okay. These are heirloom pole beans. Um, They adapt very well to a trellis, and they will flower. And if there are bees in the area, they will produce little beans. If you don't see that happening, go out there with an artist's paintbrush and transfer pollen from one flower to the other just to get things started. See if things take okay. off from there. Uh, don't have any okay. don't have any bird feeders or any bird houses nearby because the birds would eat the pollinators. And okay. when they flower, the flowers are tubular and red. And very dramatic, and they attract hummingbirds. Okay. So, so before you get uh, beans, you get hummingbirds. And then as the plant progresses, uh, you pick the string bean form when it's very young and thin. You know, string beans, if you can see it, you can eat it. Uh, the smaller they are to some degree, the sweeter they are, the more nutritious. And... When you've had your full of that, you can let them progress. And at the end of the season, you'll have a trellis full of dried pods that you will dry mm-hmm. further indoors. You, want, you don't want to harvest them till the seeds rattle inside the pods. And when you break them open, you will see the most beautiful dried beans in all of agriculture. They are wow. they are either black with purple splotches. Um, I, I would say they're black with purple splo- splotch splotch. Help me splotches. And, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but they're black and purple, and they're fabulous. They're multi-use, and I mean Burpee's a reputable company, but um, I would try I would try a different company this time around. And whatever you do, don't buy treated seed don't buy okay. don't buy seed that looks like it's been painted to glow in the dark okay that's poisonous and it could have killed off any pollinators if uh, you didn't use treated seed did you you know i have i would have to get the package and i don't think i saved it okay so i All don't right. know well, but now i know what to look for yeah and buy organic organic seed can't be treated okay all right Great. I'm looking forward to doing that next spring. Okay. Well, spring Thank will you. come, and we'll all be waiting yeah. for it. All right. You take care Thank for now. Thank you so much, Mike. My pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.
Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that the annual Empty Bowl Dinner is back. And I'll once again be hosting this awesome event on Wednesday, November 15th at the William Penn Charter School on West Schoolhouse Lane in Philadelphia. Two seatings, 4.30 to 6 and 6 to 7.30. All the soup you can eat, a handmade bowl to take home and me plus the knowledge that you'll be helping families achieve safe and affordable places to live. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to discuss the super cool stag beetle. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we're going to take a close look at the scarce, endangered, and really scary-looking beetle known as the stag beetle. Very interesting. You don't want to want to miss it. And you won't. It's coming up after your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Mary, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here, Mary. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We have a beautiful fall day here in Utah. Utah. Okay. Well, this will be rough on me, won't it? Uh (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Where in Utah? Um, Just outside of Salt Lake City in a little sort of rural town called Bluffdale. Okay. Um, Interesting name. I won't I won't get distracted by that. So what (laughs) what can we do for Mary um, near the used to be Great Salt Lake? Because I understand it's shrinking, right? Yes, it is. Uh, The levels of the water are going down. This this past summer, they started to make a recovery because we had a big uh, snowpack in the mountains that melted, but it's only a temporary um, addition of water. Yeah, the world is changing and not for the better. So what can we do you for? Well, I have uh, bought a house about a year ago, and it had some aging... Uh, quaking aspen trees uh, planted in beds around the front yard. There's a total of 10 of them, and they're in various stages of being either dead or dying. Um, And I've investigated a little bit and found out that the lifespan of aspens um, 
is not that long. And so, so I don't think they're diseased or anything. I think it's just their normal lifespan, but I want to take them out. And I've heard on your show that you have to take the roots out or you, or you have a giant block of wood down in the soil that will prevent planting anything further. Um, so I called an arborist and the arborist said that, um, he doesn't pull out trees. He, he, uh, cuts them down to a stump, and then he uses an herbicide to kill the roots. Um, he promised me that the herbicide not hurt any of my other uh, plants. Um, I have a big vegetable garden and, and fruit trees, and um, uh, I don't want uh, an herbicide getting into the system um, that may harm um, the rest of the plants. Well, not, so, only, not only that, but you're in a very delicate and unique environmental area. Um, herbicides in your region would cause a lot more damage than just to your plants. I see. Now, um, you are partially correct in that when people wish to take down an existing tree and plant something, uh, especially a new tree in its place, the stump must be pulled. Or as mm-hmm. you note, um, you know, there's this big block of wood in the ground preventing you from uh, from doing anything. However, quaking aspen is a very unique um, and wonderful tree when they're in good shape. Yeah. Um, you said you have 11 of them or something like that? Yeah, t- 10 total. Yeah, you got one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know that they're all connected to uh, roots or rhizomes or something. Well, they are colony plants like running bamboo. Uh. There is one underground root system, and it sends up these trees that have this remarkable ability to, quote, quake, to move around and make noise. Um, yeah, they're wonderful. They are remarkable. Um, but dead or damaged trees should be taken down. Now, in the reference um, references you sought out, what did it say the lifespan of a single, uh, I'm going to call it a culm, C-U-L-M, because it's... Um, it is a tree, but it's not a tree. Okay. Um, what I found out was it's about 15 years. Okay. Um, but I have noticed one thing. There are tons of aspens up in the mountains right. at like 7,800 feet, and they just thrive up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones that are planted down here in the valley, where we're only at about 5,000 feet, they just seem to struggle. And, and I don't know if it's an environmental thing. Um, but mine have certainly struggled and are nearly dead. Well, I would think that the soil up in the mountains uh, would be completely different uh, Mm. than the soil, even though you're at elevation, uh, being so close to that giant saline environment. I'm not sure that being next to the, the Great Salt Lake is good for them. Yeah, uh, but I, that, that I could be part of it. I can assure you that if you take the trees down, um, new trees will come up. 
out of the root system. So even with using an herbicide as suggested? No, 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 no. There's never use for herbicides on this entire planet ever. Thank you. Yes. Okay. I'm clear on that. No. Matter of fact, you like the aspens, right? Yes, I do. Okay. My suggestion would be to have the old ones removed. I see no harm in having the stumps ground down, so Uh to speak, which simply, you know, uh, takes the stump like two inches below the soil level. Um, I know you're in a tricking, tricking? (laughs) You're in a tricky (laughs) growing area, Uh, but you Uh might be able to put something over top of the stumps. I don't think the stumps will regrow, although I'm no expert on aspens. Um, But you might be able to maybe leave a foot of the stump uh, above ground Mm -hmm. and put really neat containers or statuary or something like that on top Mm -hmm. of it. There is a strong possibility you do have shoots coming out of the ground. You got to, right? Yes, yes. They come out and you just cut them off. Okay. Well, if you stop cutting them off, you will get a new grove of asp- asp- sure. of aspirin trees. I think I need an aspirin <laughs> tree right now. You said you planted these, right? No, um, I just bought the house about a year ago. They, oh, okay. they were planted 15 years ago by the first owner. Okay. All right. Well, we don't know what was done. So, but again, if they're dead and dying, they should be removed. Um, you either have to, you know, I don't trust this landscaper. You either got to get a different one or you have to be standing over him the whole time Mm -hmm. so that, you know, as soon as your back is turned, he's pulling out of the toxins and saying, I know better than this woman. So, yeah. but the new aspens uh, should be healthier and they would be a joy to watch growing up. What I would urge you to do is contact your local agricultural university. I'm not sure mm-hmm. um, if it's Utah State or whatever has the, mm-hmm. um, you know, agricultural, agricultural service and just ask them for bulletins. On aspens, mm-hmm. there might be some soil additive, uh, some special little thing you can do naturally uh, that will give you healthier trees growing up. But I would urge you to allow them uh, to replenish. Um, they are magnificent trees. Yes, um, I, I love that idea. And um, I'll also tell you that I'm not sure anything comes out of the stumps. There's a couple of other stumps where they'd taken down some dead aspen trees um, on my property and nothing has grown out of them. Yeah, I Um, expect the root system is going to expend its energy on new growth and not, you know, worry about dead material. Yeah, and and the other thing about the aspens is that they grow really fast. In fact, (laughs) uh, here in Utah they're called party trees because they grow up so fast. Um, (laughs) So... So letting letting the you know 
the root system send up new shoots, it's not going to take 10 years to get a tree. No, no. And um, within a few years, you'll get that wonderful um, music of horticulture. Yeah, yes. All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much. Um, it's been delightful, and I am a religious follower of you and your shows. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. All right. Okay. Bye. Okay. Have a great day. Bye for Bye-bye. now. Bye. Bye. Diana, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. Well, How thank- are you today? I'm Ducky. Yay. Ducky's Ducky. I'm Ducky. Although Ducky is starting to wonder if it's ever going to rain again. So yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, ducks like water. All right. Uh, where are you? I am in Chemung, New Jersey, uh, Burlington County, just outside of Medford. Chemung? Chemung, New Jersey. Sounds like a, a, a lyric in an old doo-wop song. Shamam, shamam. I'm not sure, but I think it's a Native American word. Okay. I'm not sure. All right. Well, we're, you're going to have to look that up and get back to us, okay? All right. Bye-bye okay. for now. No. No. <laughs> no. All right. What can we do you for? I have a bit of a panic over my garlic. Okay. Um, I'm a novice gardener. I've read a lot, but I don't have a lot of practical experience. And the first time I tried growing garlic was last year. Okay. Came up decent. I tried a soft neck. I tried a hard neck. The hard neck did better. This year, I got a different soft neck and two hard necks. I put them in about maybe three three weeks ago. Okay, um, good. And I got a nice organic soil and I, a little bit of organic fertilizer to put in the soil, put them in seven-gallon fabric pots. Um, oh, oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, but thanks for playing the game. You know, One of the biggest mistakes that people make is thinking that they can carry crops over above ground in the winter. Um, You know, that soil in your buckets or containers, that's going to freeze hard. It's the garlic may survive if we have a mild winter, but it's not going to be happy. You're giving it a, a poor early childhood education. Now, do you have any area in the ground where you could plant your garlic? I don't have a garden right now. What do you got? Not much that has sun. That's kind of why I put them in the fabric pots. We're doing a a house remodel, and only the front of the house gets sun. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, everyone is working in the front of the house right now. Okay. All right. Um, uh, your, Your two options are to... Find a place that gets some sun or bury the pots. If you could, how many pots you got? I have six pots right now. Okay. With the garlic in there. I have another problem is that five out of the six pots are already showing green leaves. That's not a problem. Just means it's okay. It just means you haven't killed it yet. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, a lot of misunderstanding around garlic. It is fine if it sprouts in the fall. 
That means it's developing an especially deep root system, but um, it's also okay if it doesn't sprout in the fall. If you didn't do anything tragically wrong, it'll sprout in the spring. So don't worry either way. Uh, And uh, uh, garlic, potatoes, other, quote, non-flowering crops can get by on much less sun than fruiting crops like tomatoes and peppers. So, I mean, when are they going to be done? I'm guessing I got the garlic in last year about the same time. And last year it was done. No, no, no. When are they done with the renovations? Oh, Oh, the renovation. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, Hey, listen, I I have to tell you, it's really bad when I remember stuff better than other people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The renovation's going to be done. They'll probably be done the outside of the house, we're hoping, next month. Okay. Um, yeah, the real protection time, this is the same with rosemary, is going to come in January and February, most likely. Now, what I'm going to suggest, uh, uh, where are they? Where are these containers? They are um, off to the side of the house, but still in the front. Okay. Because there's no one working over there. Okay. And um, I, you, go, go ahead. Do you get any sun over I could probably, Yes. It's full sun. Okay. Um, that's part of the reason I put them over there is because they get really good sun over there. Okay. I probably could. That is an old garden bed. I probably could dig those pots in over there. Um, that would be ideal. Okay. Otherwise, you would want to line the pots up against the side of the house. And then bury them in shredded leaves, not whole leaves, but shredded leaves uh, to kind of pretend that they're in the ground to insulate them. But if you can dig holes and drop them into the ground, no harm, no foul, and they should be excellent quality. Okay. And the green leaves won't get frost. Don't worry about the green leaves. These... (laughs) These, I panicked. They did not do that last year. <laughs> these things have been following the same life cycle for millennia. And the areas that they grew in naturally are colder than the northeast of the U.S. So they are extremely hardy. Um, most important, get them in the ground in time to grow good roots And for everybody out there, don't assume that plants in containers are going to survive. They may look good through New Year's, uh, but then you're entering the valley of death. So make sure that they're either in the ground or well covered, and I think you're going to do fine. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. All right. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that the annual Empty Bowl Dinner is back. And I'll once again be hosting this awesome event on Wednesday, November 15th at the William Penn Charter School on West Schoolhouse Lane in Philadelphia. Two seatings, 4.30 to 6 and 6 to 7.30. 
all the soup you can eat, a handmade bowl to take home, and me. Plus the knowledge that you'll be helping families achieve safe and affordable places to live. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to discuss the super cool stag beetle. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will investigate the fascinating life of the stag beetle, those scary creatures that should be on a late night chiller movie. Well, they're harmless, and they're endangered, and they do good. We'll explain all the details after more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Fred, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking, Fred. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you. And where is Fred doing well? Nashville. Tennessee. Okay. Um, well, we all know where that is. So, uh, what can we do you for? Well, I've got a, uh, a rubber tree plant, uh, indoors. I've had it for maybe 25, 26 years and, uh, it, it needs pruning badly at this point in time. And I'm not sure what's the best way to do that. Uh, I've got some stems on it. They're six, eight feet long that, uh, uh, fairly bare, maybe up for the first three or four feet, and then, you know, with a bunch of leaves on the end. So mm-hmm. it's a very healthy plant, And I, I just, but I need to trim it back. And I didn't know, I've taken little clippings off of it on occasion, which you can root and, you know, produce a new plant. I've done that, but I need some serious pruning to be done to get it under control. What is the best way to do that? Okay, so we're only talking about what's called the skirt. Um, it's not too tall for the room. Correct. Well, gravity uh, pulls it down, so, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> gravity pulls me down, too. You know, it's hard to get used to. I think you're easy here. I don't think you're going to be able to make a lot of mistakes. Now, the rubber tree plant, as you know, is a tropical plant, and it's not really on a solar cycle like our outdoor plants, our spring bloomers or roses, things like that, it's pretty much the same day after day. So um, how would it look if you took off every one of the bad sideways leaves? Well, it wouldn't look as pretty. Uh, I actually like the way it looks now, but due to space 
constraints is the reason I have to trim it back. So it, it wouldn't be as attractive, but on down the road, I'm sure it would grow back out. So uh, I'm willing to do that, whatever I need to do, you know. That would be my first thought. My second thought would involve what kind of a space it's occupying. Is it in a corner? No, it's just against a wall, and again, it just uh, goes where it wants to go, and I just let it go. So uh, that's that's probably the bad part, but no, no constraints on growth. There is nothing wrong with letting a plant do what the plant wants to do, again, unless you have to vacate the room to change your mind. Then you got to take care <laughs> of business. Um, yeah. So would it improve the walkway, so to speak, if you removed all of the long sideways branches from the back where it's against uh, where it's against the wall yeah 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 that would be doable uh, uh it's kind of heavy on one side uh more so than towards the back but uh, it could be either way but uh i mean i'm talking about maybe 8 to 10 branches that are fairly long right. and if i do cut those should i Cut them halfway, cut them all the way down close to the dirt level. Uh, where, where should I trim those? I would cut them all the way down uh, to the dirt level. Now, the okay. leaves themselves are nice and green and glossy. Yes. Do you rotate the plants? I do. Maybe okay. not as frequently as I need to, but I do rotate it. Yeah, because it if it's lopsided, then maybe I'm thinking cut off some or most of the branches that are now facing outward and then turn it around so that's against the wall and keep the branches that were against the wall because they sound like they're much smaller. Yeah, yeah, that's doable. And the final um, thing is, you know, if if you really like the fullness of the plant, you can put some stakes in the soil and then use twine or something cool-looking uh, to lift the leaves up, making them more upright. And where I would trim these down to dirt level, those would again sprout out, I guess, uh, eventually, wouldn't they? Well, you know, these plants grow, fresh growth appears at the top. So you do want to be careful not to over-prune, which is why I'm suggesting get rid of the long ones on one side, turn it around and make that the back side. And am I correct that you'll gain a lot of room back? Yeah, I would be correct. I think that's the safest thing. Okay. All right? Okay. Sounds good. I appreciate your help. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you. All right, as promised, time for the question of the week, which we're calling Put Out the Welcome Mat for Stag Beetles. Back in July, Linda, in our fair city of Bethlehem, PA, wrote, I heard a show where you seem to prefer cedar mulch over black or red hardwood mulch. As I recall, you didn't have much good to say about the hardwood mulch. Well, this year I bought cedar mulch instead of our usual black hardwood mulch containing preen. I was very pleased as the cedar mulch seemed to spread easier, go much further per bag, and is better for the soil. 
my, quote, question is, this year we have seen far more stag beetles crawling up the sides of our house, patio, and deck. We've lived here over 30 years, and we can only remember seeing two in all that time, one of which was back in a wooded area on an old tree stump. Now we're seeing three or four a day. Could the cedar mulch be attracting them? There are no wood piles near our home, and our post and rail fence is not near the house. I understand the beetles are harmless and don't attack plants, but I really don't want to see them crawling up the walls every time I go outside. What are your thoughts? Well, first, let's go back to your opening, as it gives me a chance to strongly repeat my objections to dyed wood mulches. Those of us of a certain age will remember when there was no, quote, mulching season, and no one would dream of covering their landscape with weirdly colored wood chips. Simply put, landfills either stopped accepting wood waste or began charging a premium to accept it. So builders and contractors took their huge piles of construction debris, old pressure-treated wood decking, and insecticide-soaked shipping pallets to a newly emerging racket where machines would chip up the trash wood and then soak it in some kind of unregulated dye that would either turn it black or the color of a condemned Burger King. Then, in bulk or in bags, it was foisted onto homeowners as the new look, proving P.T. Barnum correct in more ways than I can count. To make matters worse, this trash wood is almost always applied too deeply on the landscape. Why? Because the landscaper gets paid by the load, not by what's right. If one yard of, quote, mulch would provide the recommended one or two inches of weed-preventing material, five yards would provide a huge profit and smother the landscape by preventing air and water from reaching the poor plants imprisoned below. It's all about the Benjamins, baby. Other downsides are dye runoff, especially from the black junk, which often smells suspiciously of petroleum and creosote. Not to mention the nuisance molds, like the home staining and impossible to remove artillery fungus that breed in the wood trash, and the outgassing of unhealthy airborne organisms like Aspergillus, making the, quote, mulch unhealthy for people with breathing problems, and adding the chemical herbicide preen to the mix officially makes the resulting landscape a witch's cauldron of lung disease and cancer. The question always follows. Well, what should we use? Studies have shown that two inches of high-quality compost will prevent weeds just as well as two inches of toxic wood mulch. While feeding the life in your soil and plants, managing rainwater brilliantly, and causing no potential health problems. And hey, it's even black! Another great choice is pine straw. Available in many lengths and natural colors, it has been the mulch of choice down south for many generations and is now widely available in the north. Anyway, back to the beetles. Stag beetles are large, up to three inches long, 
have science fiction level mandibles and are an endangered species in the U.S. and Europe. Stag beetle is a general term as there are 24 different species in the U.S. Their fearsome mouth parts are used only to fight off other males, which would make a neat video. And yes, a scary looking adult might bite you if you pick it up and taunt it, but they're not venomous and you deserved it. Unlike the highly beneficial ground adults that feed on slugs and other garden pests, the awesome looking stag adults do not feed and live only long enough to mate. Their life cycle consists of a female laying her eggs in rotting wood. The more decomposed, the better. Those eggs hatch into large grub-like larvae and chow down on the rotting wood, helping it to become new soil. They can remain in this stage for one to three years. In the wonderful world of beneficials, they are considered decomposers. I suspect that Linda's recent invasion was the result of females being attracted by her rotting wood mulch a few years back, with the adults eventually emerging in late spring through early summer, just when they're supposed to. It's also possible that their large-scale emergence was the result of the cedar mulch. It resists rotting, so they have no interest in it. And its natural aromatic oils could have also acted as a repellent and encourage them to escape in droves. They climbed up the house because they mate up high, generally in the canopy of trees. And finally, be assured that they're no threat to sound wood. They're only interested in soft, rotting wood. Little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Well, that sure was an interesting look at the misunderstood stag beetle now, wasn't it? You can also read these facts over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be, you bet your garden, .org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to betray my Beatles if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444. Honest, we fixed the phone line again. 
or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT.org. Please include your location in your email. You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, audio and video previous shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is an hour-long public radio show and podcast produced and delivered to you every week from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he stuck his finger into an empty Christmas tree light socket back in 1965. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. And our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and send us pretty pictures of your garden plants to be posted at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Teresa Radke. Our audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. Our mascots are Zach the Takwasneski and Ducky the Dancing Duck. Our beloved and beleaguered CEO is Tim Fallon. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'll be urging you to help Philadelphia area families in need when I host the annual Empty Bowl Dinner on November 15th at the William Penn Charter School. You can show up in person and badger me with questions or donate online where you can also badger me with questions. Either way, please visit the event section of our website and check it out. And then I'll see you again next week.